This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to episode 233 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Have you ever felt guilty for questioning? Maybe you've questioned if God is real. Maybe you've questioned everything you've been taught about Jesus. Or do you have someone in your life who's questioning their Christian faith and you're struggling with how to support and love them? Today, I sit down with Amberly Niece to discuss the power of questions in our faith journeys with Jesus. We also discuss how Jesus models healthy discourse through asking questions. And then we touch on how we don't need to be afraid of losing our faith in Jesus when we press into those questions we find ourselves asking at some point along our Christian journeys. Amberly is engaging, hilarious, and refreshingly candid about untangling her faith through asking questions. If you enjoy our conversation, please share it with a friend. And will you do me a favor and follow along on your favorite social media platform at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. Amberly Niece. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to dive in. I mean, I cannot let another moment go by without saying that we share a name. And it's not just Amber. See, a lot of my listeners don't know that my name is actually Amberly as well. And like, I just don't know anybody else because it's not a middle name, right? What is your middle name? Do you have one? Dawn. <gasps> no way. That yes. is what mine is. No, it is not. <laughs> yes, it is. D-A-W-N. Oh my goodness. No way. That is amazing. I'm like freaking out a bit right now. Here's the truth. The truth is I think Amberly Dawn sounds like we could be recording artists. I I, I think like just hit the road singing. I don't even like country, but it sounds like bring it. I mean, you and I could be a duet. I can't sing. So it would have to be, which would be perfect because you're a comedian. We could have a a comedic do it yes we could we could i do sing but you know i probably yeah if we're hitting the road i probably have some work <laughs> oh my it's bad it's, it's real bad over here okay i, okay, I honestly good. cannot I, I i don't even know what to say right now <laughs> i don't either i do i seriously first of all most people fiddly diddle with our names so much maybe oh, mm-hmm. maybe you're just the smart one and just stuck with the amber in my house uh, unlike most people that, you know, they'd say, oh man, when my mom was mad, she'd pull out all the names. No, my mom cut it down. So oh. she called me Amber. I was in deep doo-doo and I knew <laughs> that to be true. I thought, oh gosh, that's when your prayer life really increases. And she shortened it to Amber. And with the Southern accent, it sounded very pointed. So I, <laughs> where did you grow up? So my, I was born in San Angelo, Texas, uh, Air Force. Yeah. My mom is a Texan. And of course, when your mom, you know, is home with you the most, whatever, yes. she, 
whatever language she speaks, uh, you speak as well. But when I went to kindergarten in, in California, they made such terrible fun of me that my parents paid money to get rid of my accent. Isn't that crazy? So I was like four and I was fixing, I was fixing you everything. And so well, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. Action. So Eastern Kentucky, we fix, we, we did a lot of fixing. Still fixing. I know. And my daughter lives in Tennessee now and she's starting to, she gets these little, she yeah. extrapolates, extrapolates a little bit from the language and I'm like, oh, that's, I like, like it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. But I was embarrassed of it for a long time. And now I'm like, that was so stupid. But anyways, that's, that's a side conversation. It is. It is. All right. So we're, so we're diving in and we, we just hit our names and then there was a hard stop. I'm so sorry. We are going to talk about Jesus and faith today. Okay. okay perfect, friends, perfect, perfect. I love it. Okay. So I love to start episodes typically not five minutes in, but that's okay. We're going to start okay. now. Um, how did you begin walking with Jesus? What did your early faith walk look like? So I'm just going to say that I came from, some would say a spiritual menagerie. I'm going to say a, a theological carnival of crazy. On my mom's side, which is the most tame, she was raised by a, a Southern Baptist who married a Catholic. And uh, that's, that's fun. But the interesting thing was because they couldn't reconcile faith together, they just didn't do faith. So my mom would, she knew the rosary and things like that, but she, she, it was not part of her every day at all. So that was kind of like a neutral, I guess, for that with a little bit of church hurt, you know, (laughs) it's sprinkled in there. And then my dad uh, was a motivational speaker for the new age movement. Um, my aunt, his sister, such a, uh, wow. such a, she's so amazing. She was a Christian science nurse practitioner. So a registered nurse practitioner in the Christian science faith. So I mean to tell you carnival of Carreza. However, <laughs> I have to say that I grew up in a garden where questions were embraced where um, discourse that was respectful was glorious. And at the end, we were crazy about each other still. There was no, so I, in that way, so spoiled. So at 10 years old, my parents divorced, my mom remarries, we moved to Arizona and the little girls that lived next door to my sister and me, their parents wouldn't let us hang out unless we went to church with them, which I do not necessarily suggest as a great evangelical tool. <laughs> mm, me neither. Um, Jesus it, by pressure washer. But anyway, um, we started going and I heard a sermon about Jesus wanting to be my friend and I didn't understand it. I was 10, but that's what I decided to do. But I just had no, there was no support. So quickly. Okay. Uh, quickly, I just, you know, went back to my old ways, you know, just did my own thing at 16 years old. Uh, I just was so desperate to have, to be popular and to have friends and all, it looked like all the popular kids in my high school, uh, consumed alcohol. Uh, so kids listening at home, this is not the way to do it. But, uh, I decided to throw a party at my house through, through a big old party, including that stuff. And at two o'clock in the morning, as I'm listening to people, losing their lunch in the next room and mm. sleeping all over the apartment that I was in. Um, I just thought, you know, there's not a single person here that likes me anymore. I'm not any more popular. Wow. I don't have any more friends. And yep. so without a youth pastor present in the middle of my living room, while I'm picking up red solo cups of silly, 
uh, I just said, okay, I call your bluff. You said, you said you wanted to be my friend. That guy, that guy, that preacher said you wanted to be my friend. Well, I call your bluff. And that began a passionate love affair between me and Jesus. And, um, he's never failed me. And so went to Bible college. I showed my parents, they were like, you can go to any school and we'll help you unless you go to a private Christian school. So I showed them and I got student loans (laughs) and, uh, so thankful and met, um, my cute husband and, um, yeah, we've been in ministry. He was in full-time ministry for the first 25 years of our marriage. And, but we've been in ministry entrenched ever since. Wow. What an incredible story, right? Yeah. And when we got married, my parents were like, he doesn't like football. And he, he's a Jesus guy. Like we don't know what to do with him, but they've all come to faith since. Really? Yeah. Not my dad. Cause he passed away. Oh, wow. He passed away when he was 51, but the rest, they're all. Oh on my some goodness. Level. I, I just want to like ask all kinds of questions about that, but yeah, I could have a whole conversation about that, particularly right? even the power that there is in being in a family that will allow discourse because I think sometimes having some different theological views can actually help solidify what you choose to believe as an adult more so than not having a difference of opinion in your life when you're a child. Agreed. Of course. I I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of that, but I could not be more thankful. I, I, I literally go back to, I feel so fortunate that the Lord would give me parents that would allow that kind of crazy sauce, but it was, it was glorious. And like I said, we didn't, we weren't, we didn't unfriend each other at the end of a conversation. We just were like, oh, well, wow, that was good. That was a, like a good tennis match yeah. when you, it's a good pairing. And you're like, wow, that, that, that last backhand was out of control. So good. That was such a great game, such a joy to play with you still on the other side of the, of the net, but we're, it was still, a, it was a great match. I think that that is one of the reasons that I felt like the Lord called me to write this particular book is because I grew up in a home where questions were not only tolerated, but celebrated. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, and that was something I was going to ask you, even though I feel like you've answered it a bit. And that is like, oftentimes we write from our own personal experiences and your Bible study, Untangling Faith, you know, that would be one of my questions. Like, did you write this from a place of untangling your own faith from things? Was it what you were witnessing in other people? Delve into that a bit for us. Okay. So... 
on a scale of one to 10, how real do you want me to get? Oh, as real as you can get. Okay. All the way in. We don't hold back here. Yeah, exactly. So what I want you to hear me say is I am still more certain than I've ever been that God is good and that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit has my back. I mean, all of those things, those are totally intact. But I was saved and baptized at 1980. And in 1980, the church was having some pretty wonderful, wacky um, shifts. And I'm talking big C church. And there's lots of history to back this up. But what I did not know is that my spiritual formation was really in a place where um, the church itself was trying to figure itself out. We just had the like the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. So the church did this pendulum swing and I was part of that pendulum swing. And so I was taught as I was growing in my faith that this is what a Christian woman looked like. Mm -hmm. This is that she majored in submission and she uh, was quiet. Purity, culture, all the things. Right. And so for me, I kept saying, why do I have all of this stuff, these these passions, mm-hmm. these whatever that were in direct opposition. And I kept thinking, I know God makes no mistakes and I know I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but sometimes in the church, especially the churches we were in, it seemed like more fear than wonder, the gifts that I had to bring. And so the last five years for me has been an, an unpacking of some old erroneous, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, erroneous, um, limitations that have been put on people in the church. And um, I'm very thankful that I've had the space to do that. I have a husband that is, that prays for believes in my call as probably sometimes more than I do. I mean, like he is so clear um, that that is the case, but what it's done is it has upset my, my fruit basket on a lot of levels. Um, Yes. So, um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's where I'm at. And so, um, I feel really thankful for that, but I'm also really thankful that I had, um, the questions of Jesus to help me unpack that. So we all know we were all told, what would Jesus do? Right. We got the WWJD. I don't know how old you are, Amber. Oh, I still have one. My black one. 100%. So we all did that, but here's what I'd never heard in Bible college. I have a master's degree from Bible college. Nobody ever Mm -hmm. told me one of the things that Jesus did very consistently was ask questions 300 times in the new Testament. He really flat out only answered two of them. So why, when we say be like Jesus is question asking, not on that list. Wow. Right. So Uh. for me, I feel so thankful that he showed up for me when I was kind of unpacking and what do I do with this? And, um, we were attending a church that we uh, loved loved, and it, it, I mean, it burgeoned, we got there and it has just blossomed and God has done such great things. But the pastor essentially said uh, he was sick one morning. He was, he he woke up throwing up and he called a pastor from another church to fill in. And I called him and I said, can can we meet for a few minutes? He said, sure. And I said, I talk to thousands of people a year about Jesus. Like I'm on two tours telling people how much Jesus loves them. I speak to, you know, a ton of, you know, women's retreats and, and events. I'm a go-to and I have education and, and mileage on my vehicle to back it up. And I said, why did my phone not ring? I said, there's probably like five people in the church, but why did you feel a need to go outside of our church to fill in for that Sunday? And essentially said, I 
want to let you know your phone will never ring. Yeah. Yeah. And so my husband and I said, we love this church and we love the people here and we're not bitter, but we're going to leave before any of those things change because we felt like he wasn't being used. I wasn't being used. The very gifts that I felt like I brought to the table and the Holy Spirit wasn't shocked when I had these gifts of of speaking, but also was given ovaries, right? It was not like he wasn't like, wow, you know, right? So, um, it was hurtful. I'm just going to well, say and it's so hard because you give up a community too. And everybody's right. trying to wrestle out these things. Like I, the last conversation that I shared on my podcast was with DJ Gumta. I don't know if you know who oh, that is. Yes. I, I, yes, absolutely. I know who that is. I yes. listened to a podcast recently, not yours. I need to go back, but what oh. glorious wisdom, like how beautiful, and insightful that was. So I'm sure that was an amazing conversation. Well, and that's the thing, like the work that he's done, Yeah. because sometimes I have a hard time even fleshing that out for other people. When you've got someone who is well-versed in the word, particularly in their denominational doctrinal stances, right? coming with what I believe and standing firm on that as well, because I've definitely come up with some people against some people who like you, when you were a child, they discourse well, but they don't necessarily leave the conversation feeling so much like that was a great tennis match. No, 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 no. And so I think with Nijay for me, it w- it's been a breath of fresh air. In addition to some other things I've been reading to say, okay, wait just a minute. Like we have to pay attention to what women in the Bible were actually doing, not just the few verses that say what we can't do. Right. So anyways. I, I totally agree. And and we may have already hacked off some of your listeners, but here's what I have to say. Jesus is not threatened by your questions on these on yes. these issues. Yes. And he was not, he was not threatened by, by mine. In fact, he drew me closer because it was hard. You know, I found myself thinking, um, have I failed because I can't check all the boxes that the the 1980s Christian that I, you know, when I accepted Jesus uh, would have said that I needed to be. In fact, when um, my husband, we had a senior pastor who made a series of really terrible choices. And so my husband was asked to fill in as this uh, interim senior pastor for a minute. I said to him, oh, no, no, I can't do this. Like, I am not a pastor's wife. I don't play the piano. I don't sit in the front row and hang on every word you say and whatever. And he said, well, maybe this church needs to have its definition of pastor's wife redefined. Like how, mm-hmm. how exciting is this? That you get to be a shaping agent of what a godly woman. What a great point. As. And how great, how thankful I am for that. But Wow. That's, that anyway. really is a good and I, and I think really it's a good point that you make. And I think if we are to come back to really the untangling of faith, untangling is not abandoning. And it's, it's not, I hate for people to go through all these questions they may have. And because they settle on maybe a different answer than I settled on or a different answer than the doctrine that they have been, you know, raised under, right. um, it makes me sad to think that then they are other and that somehow the Jesus of the Bible looks at them as they, as if they don't belong anymore, because it's just not the case, right? We have people all over the world in every denomination you can imagine. And we would still say that they're secure in their faith in Christ. 
Absolutely. There is, you know, oftentimes I would perceive God, especially early in my faith, kind of like the, do you remember that old um, game show called The Weakest Link? And at the end of every round, she'd say, you are the weakest link. (laughs) Goodbye. Right. I felt so sad. Right. I felt like that was how God was. Like if I didn't do it right, eh, the number you've reached has changed. And that is just not his character. It's just not who he is. So untangling faith was born out of my own issues to my tissues, right? My own struggle, (laughs) my own unpacking of things. Now, again, I was unpacking ideologies, not theologies, really. Right. Um, There is some theology because, you know, but for the most part, church ideologies is really what I was grappling with. But I was watching spiritual shrapnel happening all around me. People deconstructing their faith, their kids deconstruct, their grandkids deconstructing their faith, walking women through, how do I do this when... My kids have no, there's zero desire to go to church. And more than that, kind of a disdain for the the whole thing. And so watching people do that, watching politics get more and more ugly and and people dragging Jesus through the political mud. And that was super hard for me. And so I didn't actually know how this was going to work out. I just knew that um, I needed to start. And the Lord just kept impressing on me. And I kept thinking, this is so big, God, I'm not sure. Yeah. I was like Moses, like, I'm, I'm not a gooder speaker. You know, I just, uh, <laughs> and he was saying, this is your project to write. And um, every day is a different question that Jesus asked. So yeah. it falls under different categories, um, as you know, but the categories are the big questions of life. Why should we pray? Right. If, he, if he's all knowing, why should we pray? And, and is God good? That's a big one right now. Yeah. So unpacking what that looks like. Um, and the truth is, this is one of those, I was, I had a reader in mind. I had a person in my head that I put on my computer that I was praying for, not a specific person, but like a, a demographic of person right. that's yep. like on the fringes. But the truth is, I could have said this book is dedicated to Amberly because she needed this more than anybody. Well, I mean, isn't that it, right? Like oftentimes we write from a place of experience because you find out along the way that you're not the only one walking that, you know, um, you're not the only one, because as you start kind of sharing some of your experience on the flip side, you hear somebody else say, Oh, me too. Right. <laughs> like I was walking that path too. And I didn't know yes. I could ask Jesus questions. I'm like, Oh girl, listen, that's the deal. That's what the feedback I've gotten is women saying, You know, I don't think I've ever been given permission. And when I did my videos, I literally did a, this is a permission slip this week, this week. I know, right? You have permission to not know it all, right? And God just wants who we are. It's like that idea of if we truly know that he knows us completely and that terrifies some people, but for me, it actually brings me comfort because then when I act like the sixth grade girl and I, I don't know why you don't, you know, all the things. It's like, okay, God already knows that. So I'm not showing up and presenting a side to him that he's unfamiliar with. Yeah. Again, oh the Holy Spirit is not saying that is such a shocker. I did not see I, that coming. Hello, Alpha and Omega. He gets it. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Okay. So tell me this, because you said Jesus asked over 300 questions and really only answered two, I'm going to throw out a couple of questions that Jesus did ask. And I don't know, let's just have some conversation about it or, or you throw out what first comes to mind because a few of these, or maybe all three of them are in your study. Are you testing me on my own? uh, I am. It's a test. 
And All I'm right. going to tell you at the oh. end if you are or are not enough. No, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Ah! Right. <laughs> end of podcast. Oh, that's okay. right. Ready. If it abruptly uh, ends, you people know I do not approve. Yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. just, okay. So here's the first one. Jesus says, as he's talking uh, to the man at the edge of the pool, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Unpack that a bit for us. Uh, this is such a good one. I'm so glad you chose this one. Early eyes, my early theological eyes looking at this, I remember thinking, why would Jesus ask him? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds almost like insult to injury. Like, hey, dude, sorry that you're struggle busing. Um, do you want to get well? I mean, do you really? And I just remember thinking, what a difficult question that must have been on that man's ears. And yet, I think it's masterful. I mean, Jesus created our brains. He knows that they're wired for questions, that we actually dig more deeply with questions than we do with flat out answers. So how interesting that he would ask this man, do you want to get well? Because I think it's so much greater than, um, do you want your legs to work again? I think it's, are you willing to leave your mat behind? Because your mat's gotten super comfortable. You've stayed there a long time. Years ago, there was a show called ER, and one of the characters had a cane. She had a uh, walking, I I want to say it's a cane. It was kind of a cool medical cane, but it was a cane nonetheless. And um, towards the end of her character's arc, she was going to have a surgery that was going to allow her to go without a cane. And I, this, in my mind's eye, the way that I remember it, and we had cronies, we would all do church choir, and then we'd go home and watch ER at other people's houses. It was so great. I remember that that somebody said to her, this is so weird. Like very soon and very soon, you're going to not have to have this cane. Like, how do you feel about that? And she says, you know what? I've had it so long. I don't know who I am without it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that's the deal. So I don't have a problem with my legs working, but I do have a problem overeating. Yeah. And I think instead of God saying, Amberly, is that really what's best for your body? He says, when I say to him, I really want to be better. I really want to be healthy. He says, do you want to get well? Because the truth is I'm really comfortable with that cheesecake. I'm really comfortable. It's actually not sweets for me. It's actually bread. Just, I'm so glad Jesus said he was the bread of life, not the kale of life. But anyway, <laughs> he says, instead of Judgerton, which is what a lot of us hear God say, which is not his character for the record. What he says instead is sweet girl, do you want to get well? And some days I say I do. And some days I say I'm not ready. I'm holding onto my mat for, for comfort and security. Mm-hmm. And so it cleans my clock every time. Like, I think it's such a beautiful story. The Chosen did such a beautiful job. Oh, yes, they did. But I think he has the same question. For, and here's the deal. My mat looks different than other people's mats, right? It's not, por- my mat is not pornography, but I know it is for a lot of people. Right. My mat is not religiosity, but I know it is for a lot of people. My mat is not legs that don't work. Um, but I know it is for lots of people, but I think it's so much greater than that physical. It, it, I think he's articulating, this is so much greater than the physical because I yeah. can fix the physical. It's so much greater than that. And are you ready to embrace what this change is going to mean? Yeah. And I mean, even like getting well and healing does require some sacrifice on our mm-hmm. part, no matter what it is, even if it's healing from a disease, if it's healing from an addiction, yeah we will 
face a moment where we have to make a hard sacrifice to keep walking in that. And I think, you know, Jesus knows full well that that's true. true. Okay. Question number two. By the way, you made me cry. I don't know what minute that was in the interview, but way to go, Barbara Walters. Appreciate that. <laughs> we've laughed, we've cried, and we share the same name. I exactly. <laughs> Boom. Check that. That's right. Okay. So Jesus questions his disciples in this, and he says, who do you say that I am? So this is cellular level conversation, mm-hmm. right? Because the truth is, there's this one echelon that says, who do you say I am? And you just say, oh, well, you're Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But there's another deeper um, uh, level that when he says, who do you say that I am? That he's saying, are you willing to put your money where your mouth is, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you say that I am? Because as they say, even the demons know who Jesus is. Yeah. So we can say, I know Jesus and I trust him. But what happens when the cancer diagnosis comes? Do you know that he's good? Do you, do you really know it? And are you willing to live knowing it's true as if it's true? Are you not and choosing it daily because we have to wake up some days and make the choice to believe the gospel again. Yes. There's this great word in Hebrew for remember when God would have his people like created Ebenezer. Yeah. He would say this word, remember, like Put these things together and remember what I've done for you. That word is not just recall the information, like you recall somebody's name, but it means to act accordingly. Mm. And so when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It's not just regurgitating, recalling, oh, you're Jesus, right? You're the, mm. yeah, you're the dude with the sandals and all the things, but he's saying, and this, he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. Right. When he asks his disciples this, but he's asking, are you willing to act accordingly? Do you really believe? And so many of the things that we struggle with, if we really believed it down to our gizzards, if we really believed that- um, That was that Texas coming out in you. That's that Texas, exactly. If we really believed that, there's a whole bunch of fiddly diddle that we wouldn't deal with if we really believed that, Mm -hmm. right? We wouldn't feel a need to be right all the time. Mm. If Jesus is Lord of our life, if he really, if we're acting accordingly, we wouldn't feel a need to, um, to squish other people, Mm. to um, attack them on social media, to, to gossip. Ooh, gossip would be shut down. If we really believed again, going back to my, my issues, uh, the thorn in my flesh. Um, if I really know that I'm a child of God, Mm. I would stop acting like a child of hometown buffet, right? I would, I would know that to my core if I really got it. And so for me, I'm so thankful that Jesus continues to ask me every day, well, who do you say that I am? Yeah. Because again, it's easy to give the Sunday school answer and say, well, you're Jesus. Right. But are you acting accordingly? Are you recalling it, but also living it? And so um, that's a good, I mean, what a, Way to go, Jesus. You know, way to go. Such a good question. Um, and he he's asking the same thing of you and me. You know, yeah. when when the marriage falls apart, when the job, when the job gets lost, mm. when the um when the kids are wayward, who do you say that I am? Mm. I know that good. That did good it, right there. <laughs> it is so it's so good. And I, I what you said earlier about, you know, questions actually cause us to think. 
I mean, that's very true. It's just like with journaling, right? You have a journaling prompt. This is more right. modern day, but it's like, because that causes us to dive in a little bit deeper and to examine those places of who do I really say that Jesus is, you know, in the disciples situation, Jesus was asking them for a lot of reasons because they were still trying to decide if they thought Jesus was going to be uh, their political savior right? or if there was something else. And so this fleshing out of, oh, what do I think? It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, when we do our spiritual homework, if you'll look, Martha, the one that we always, the the Mother's Day sermon that always happens about be a Mary, not a Martha, whatever. It was Martha that was, had the most clarity on who Jesus really was before all of the crucifixion stuff went down. She had this Holy spirit clarity. She was the first really to proclaim who he was, which I think is so interesting. Again, how gracious of God to not only call 12 men to be his, to, to be his apostles, but to call these women, these incredible women who were just loving him to the best of their broken abilities and, um, and did such incredible things through them. So as the Martha, I'm always really encouraged by that. Right. Part. Cause I'm the Martha too. Um, my, my husband will say pipe down Betty, because my grandmother like literally was the one when she was starting to get overwhelmed, you know, she's wiping the table and people are still eating and she's picking up their things and moving them. And that's what I do. Like when I'm starting to get overwhelmed, it's actually a calming effect for me to get up and start cleaning kind of tidying things up. And so he'll say, you know, pipe down Betty. But I think about that because sometimes I'm like, Jesus, you know, Martha wasn't the bad one as I'm wiping down my table and kind of wishing that the people at my house would go home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, he, you still loved Martha too. She loved you. She just had some issues like we all do. We do. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And as the problem, as the eldest sister, she was the one who was her culture, her responsibility was to take care of business. So she was just taking, she just was following her culture. Right. I know. So I, I totally get it, but, uh, I, I am so thankful that, that that is the case. So who do you say that I am is a great question. All right. Last one. Last one. Jesus hasn't calmed the storm yet, but the disciples have been, are very anxious at this point and he's taken a nap. Jesus has taken a nap. And so he, once they wake him up and say, what are you going to do about this? He says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? So going back to that Ebenezer thing about God asking his people to build an Ebenezer. I think when we build Ebenezers, by the way, we have a couple in our house in different seasons in our life. When things were difficult, we would put just rocks together and we'd put them inside it anyway. But I think when you have a reminder in front of you that shows all the things that God, so when God does something great, we write it on the rock and we put it inside the door. And at the end of the year, we kind of go through and we're like, oh, do you remember this? This is when you got an A on your math test you were so worried about. And this is when you got out of that. One of the kids is like, this is when you got out of that traffic ticket, mom. And I was like, yeah, you're cute kid. Put it back in the jar. Um, <laughs> but when you look at those Ebenezers, whether they're um, actual actualized or uh, just in your mind, it's hard to feel sorry for yourself. And it's hard to forget about the goodness of God. And these apostles had watched Jesus do some incredible, like mind blowing things, fish and loaves, 5,000 men and their families, right? But they watched him heal. He's been in their space and helped them with their issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
he's gotten real. They've watched, they've had front row seats to the awesomeness of Jesus. Yeah. And yet when the storm comes, not, first of all, I love that Jesus is sleeping in the boat that, you know, that there's this beautiful connection between he and his father, knowing that he is like, bring on the storms. My, my papa is in charge of those. Mm -hmm. And I love that the psalmist says that he stills the storm to a whisper. The waves of the seas were hushed. So he knew those scriptures. So he knew his father could shush and all would be well, Mm -hmm. but he is sawing logs. Isn't that glorious? (laughs) But then he says to them, ye have little faith, which again, we can read it like he's so judgmental, but he's like, people, we've been bullying an Ebenezer to the goodness of God all of this time. Why is this upsetting your fruit basket? Why is this so, Mm. why is this cleaning your spiritual clock? Mm. Has he not shown himself faithful all this time? Is this, you know, his his character has been so incredibly clear Mm -hmm. and so incredibly consistent. Why this? And again, we can, we can sit in our pews and be so judgmental about these dudes, but it's like, oh my gosh, I've done yeah. the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've done the same thing as I'm driving. Really, Lord, seven more cars in front of me because you know, I'm late. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you have little faith. Don't you know that I'm good? Don't you trust that I'm good? Haven't I proven myself good? And when are you going to learn that the energy you're spending with fists in the air, frustrated, uh, or wa- it's wasted space because yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do something great. But the truth is I, I struggle with my own storms and, um, and he says, why are you afraid? Why, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Again, it's a question that ca- causes us to recall the times when he has strengthened our faith, right? Through situations. Just yesterday, I was thinking through some things about God being provider and different ways that he's provided a small oasis in the desert that I don't even notice as an oasis, right? Like that phone call or that small little text that just when you need it, it's like, okay, God, that gave me enough breath for today. Um, and it's so easy to not even notice that that was God actually providing. Yeah. It's like, look, manna. And you go, I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> that tastes bad. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have something else. Exactly. Uh, when I wrote the book, um, I was, my dad died of skin cancer at 51. We've had major issues. Like it's been crazy. And when I was writing the book, I had my first time at the doctor. I'm one of those people that twice a year, he is literally scanning every part of my body. I mean, like I am on high alert always. And I got my first, Hey, can you come back into the office kind of call? Yes. And as I'm writing this book on faith, hilarious. Um, I mean, I went straight to catastrophe, right? I went straight to what, what is Scott going to do without me? Like, how are the kids going to do? How are they going to unpack this spiritually? If I die? I mean, like I went deep and dark fast. I know. It's that, that is the way of the brain. I'm usually so optimistic, but I went straight pessimism, uh, did not pass go, do not collect $200. Like it was, it got real. And he says, why are you so afraid? Yeah. Here's the truth. The truth is what I know to be true. Now that I've I've heard from my doctor, things are okay. We've had, you know, I was carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey, but things are good. But even if it wasn't, he's still good. Even if I'm, this is my last interview on earth. He's still good. That's what I have to keep going back to. So what's interesting is I'm now in a season that his questions bring me more comfort than yes. his answers. I agree. Like mind blowing to me. 
And what's cool is I feel like we can actually help those who are struggling in their faith, those that are deconstructing. I tried to call it reconstructing faith and my publisher's like, no, no, too close to home. And I'm like, I know, right? Because we all know people who are doing that on some level, but how cool that we actually have a, uh, a tool. And I'm not talking about my book. I'm talking about, we have the tool of Jesus's questions, right? Help spur thinking and have great discourse, loving conversations about the big questions of life using Jesus's questions as fodder. I think too, when it comes to untangling faith, there can be this idea for some people who have maybe been raised a certain way or whatever, that to have faith means that then once you've sorted through the questions, you never go backwards again. And I would reframe that to, it's not a quote unquote going backwards. It is a choosing again to believe in the character of Christ. It is choosing again to say, I believe who you say you are because I've seen you do X, Y, and Z. You know, like for you, when you experience that fear of, um, oh my gosh, what about if I have skin cancer like my dad? It's not like, oh, I haven't grown in my faith at all. Oh, I can't believe I did this again. But instead, it's Jesus just asking you the question so that you can remember, okay, wait, I I can weather this storm. Yes. So there, I mean, there's this saying, I don't know how popular it is, but as the crow flies, right? When somebody says, well, how far Amberly, uh, how far away do you live from Amber? And I say, well, as the crow flies, it's certain. But the truth is if I get on GPS, (laughs) right? It's kind of wing ding, diggle daggle and oh, Mm -hmm. there's construction and there's this other thing. The truth is our faith looks more like the GPS than it does like as the crow flies. Very few people I know live a life that it was like, I came to Jesus and it's as the crow flies to glory. Like it's such a straight line. He who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it. That is, there is a construction zone right there. Until right? the day of Christ Jesus, which means right. the construction zone doesn't end until he returns. <laughs> until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's wing ding, diggle daggled, right? Um, but the, the important part is that we keep the car in drive, right? That we keep moving forward and knowing sometimes we're going to be um, redirected and it's it's actually going to feel like not progressing at all, right? That right. we're regressing right. uh, on some of the things. But the important thing is you keep that car in drive. You keep mm-hmm. asking those questions. You keep diving in. You keep being open-handed with answers. Mm-hmm. You keep being willing to um, be real with yourself and be real with God and be real with people around you. Community yeah. is such a huge mm-hmm. gift, and um, I think that's the deal is to give people yeah. permission. Hey, here's the deal. Even if you're wing dang diggle daggling, do it in, yeah. in drive. That's right. Don't park it. That's when we get in trouble. <laughs> We're just like, give it up. Quit. So that's right. I think that's the deal. Well, let's close with this. Um, let's say someone is like, I feel like I need to complete a study like this because I don't trust myself with questions or mm-hmm. I have all these questions and all the places I'm going I just have that check in my spirit that there's still something still wooing me back to Christ, or I do feel these certain things about him. I'm just not sure. Mm. Um, what encouragement would you have for them? You know, or maybe why would the study be a good idea for them? You take that as you'd like. Okay. I'll answer if you will. Okay. So I'll go back to our original question. If God's design for us is to honor and worship him and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the likeness of Jesus, why not 
look like Jesus when it comes to the way that he handled those big questions of life. He not only asked questions, he asked questions of God, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. But the other thing is he handled other people with grace when it came to questions as well. Mm-hmm. That's my big thing is let's be like Jesus and ask the questions of ourselves, but also lovingly of other people as well. Because I think that will start a thought revival in all of us. Yeah. Mm. So the Holy Spirit is responsible for those other revivals, but in ourselves, can you imagine if the church was finally, it's been a long time since we've been known as thinkers, but wouldn't that be cool if finally people are like, it's a place that I can think big thoughts and ask big questions and it's, and it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not looked down upon. Um, I think I would say to that, it's so easy to ascribe what we're struggling with to God, not showing up for us. When so often what the truth is, when you begin to ask questions and you begin to journal through some of, let's say you start with questions Jesus asked and you begin to journal through those and just process those and dig into the word, you're going to find out that it was really man who disappointed you and who let you down. And yes, we know God is all good and all sovereign. And so he can change anything at any moment. But at the end of the day, that does make this world very robotic. And I don't think that would make us happy either. And so I say, dig in and keep going. Because like you said, what do you have to lose? It feels like not doing it is to lose a whole lot more. Because I've had so many questions. And I have, in the last four years, I have wondered if my faith was going to make it through. I have wondered like, Am I going to get to the other side of this and still say, Jesus, you're who I've I've always thought you were. But that's the one thing I kept asking people to pray for me. I kept being real with who God is or who I thought he was. I kept asking the questions. And then at the end of the day, it still was like, Peter, where else would I go? Yeah. You know, like I have tried other things, not tried like other religions per se, but I've definitely looked at some. And it was worth it to do the work for four years. It's been worth it to do the work. So that would be my answer to that. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. So Amberly, tell me this, where can people find you? Cause here's the thing. Amberly's a speaker. She's a teacher. She's a comedian. She's a writer. She's all the things and she's just fun. So <laughs> tell us where to find all the things. So you can go to amberlyneese.com. And I would love for people to join my newsletter. That's a way that I can let them know what God is doing in me and through me. And despite me, I share some of my favorite recipes. I share some of the, some of my journey. So I would super love that. So if you go to amberlyneescom backslash join, you get a free um, resource. When you do that, an ebook I created called 50 ways to initiate great connections with others. And you can go from there. Also, if you choose to do my study and you get a group of ladies or men um, together to unpack that, um, let me know if you can email me. I'd love to zoom in and say hi to all the people doing the study. I've done that for people all over the nation, which is so fun. It's so fun. I think that's it. Well, thanks so much, Amberly, for taking the time to sit down with me. I appreciate you. My pleasure. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for this ministry. And uh, may God continue to bless your questions. Wasn't that awesome? So I'm not going to lie. I kind of wish I could be as funny 
And still as engaging with scripture and theological discussions as Amberly. If you feel that way, go and follow her, share this episode with your friends. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I would be so grateful if you followed Grace Enough on your favorite social media platform. That just continues to help me get the word out about the show. Um, And the best way to do that is through people like you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.